1: guys and welcome to the moms and murder podcast a true crime podcast featuring myself mandy and my dear friend melissa hi melissa hi mandy how are you i am doing awesome Good. I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> no follow <I> needed. <laughs> yeah, I know. I forgot how everything works. I know we just had our little week off. And while we were having a week off, I also went on a family vacation, our Yay. summer family vacation. So, yeah, I'm fresh off the islands, as they say. Um, <laughs> we just went down uh, to the Keys. And it was really awesome and really relaxing and very fun. And all the all those words that are used to describe a super bang in time <laughs> oh, please don't please don't say that when talking about your family vacation <laughs> I mean I guess yes wrong word wrong word but yeah, it was a very word. fun trip yeah it was a super fun vacation it's been several years since we've gone down to the Keys And I know a lot of people think they're uh whenever I say that we don't go to the Keys very much like oh well why not and I'm like well it might as well be in another state because it's not very so close far. to mm-hmm. where we live so um yeah it's quite a journey and uh this time we went all the way down to Key West which again is quite a journey and it feels like it takes forever. But um we did it and we really explored all of the keys this time and it was nice. a really great trip. Yeah, so I'm happy to be back and I'm happy to be recording a new episode of the podcast.
0: Yay, me too. I'm excited for this episode. It is, I mean, should I say it's a silly, crazy story? It's, out there. It's totally different. I've never heard anything like this. I can't believe I've not heard of the people in this story. So I'm excited for you guys to hear about it because I feel like it's going to be something different than you've probably heard
1: before. I've never heard of this story before. Yeah, no, this one is definitely quirky and as Quirky's a good word. Yes. yeah, as everyone knows, we love a good quirky story around these parts. So without further ado, we will just get right into the story for this week. In the early morning of May 7th, 1977, police were notified that the house at 6490 Spring Mill Road in Indianapolis was partially on fire. The caller said that they could see smoke pluming from a window on the front of the house. Firefighters were dispatched to the address and they were able to quickly distinguish the flames, but once the smoke cleared, they made a tragic discovery. The occupant of the home, a very reclusive and eccentric 66-year-old woman named Marjorie Jackson, was found dead on the kitchen floor. She was wearing a knee-length housecoat and pajamas, and although there had been a fire, her body was not badly burned. The investigators looked around the house and they noticed several clues that led them to quickly determine that Marjorie had been murdered in a robbery before the house was ever set on fire. A gas can was found inside the home, which officers concluded was used as an accelerant to start what turned out to be numerous small fires, starting in the dining room and causing around $100,000 in damage to the roof and the interior. The fence at the back of the property had been cut so somebody could get through it and the door to the house was wide open and showed signs that it had been forced open. Marjorie's bedroom had also been ransacked, and there were drawers left open, and their contents had been strewn about the room. Marjorie was also known around the area because she was quite an interesting woman, and sadly, a very likely target for this type of crime. Marjorie had grown up in the
0: early 1900s in Indiana, and she lived kind of a hard-knock life until she met a very wealthy man named Chester Jackson in the late 1940s. She met Chester because he was actually a boarder at her family's house. His father was named Lafayette Andrew Jackson, which makes me want to bust out into songs Hamilton style, and he founded (laughs) the Standard Grocery Chain in 1897 and grew to more than 250 stores in Illinois. In May of 1931, Lafayette was tragically shot and killed when two men tried to force their way into his office at the main store, and a shootout actually took place, and he ended up being killed. After his father died, Chester became president of the grocery chain, but in 1947, he sold the whole chain to the National Tea Company, which, is that a grocery store company? that i don't know that doesn't seem like a lateral (laughs) a lateral selling point but i guess build your brand i guess yeah (laughs) so chester took the money from the sale and he invested 14 million dollars in coal stocks five million dollars in municipal bonds a million dollars in cash and treasury bills and other investments His estate in total was worth over $25 million, and that's back in 1947. Today, that would be equal to almost $302 million. So Chester really had some cash. When Chester met Marjorie, she was working at a five-and-dime store to make ends meet. Marjorie had been married before, but she didn't have any children. Chester was married to a woman named Edna whenever he met Marjorie. But they were separated when Chester moved into Marjorie's family's house as a boarder. It's kind of interesting to me that this guy is a multimillionaire and he moves into somebody's house. Yeah. As a boarder, I feel like you'd have a couple options, even if you're still married, but...
1: Yeah, but maybe if you're just like a traveler and you know that you're going to be going place to place and you're trying yeah, to kind of figure sense. out where you want to settle, I could see doing that. And But that's, again, something that maybe was big in 1947. I don't think the concept of boarding complete strangers in your home is really that popular anymore. No. So it's hard to even imagine it at all, to tell you the truth.
0: (laughs) No, that makes sense. Okay, that makes more sense because I'm like, what is this guy doing? But I I followed your journey there. I get what you're saying. Yeah. (laughs) So Chester also didn't have any kids. However, his wife Edna actually gave birth to a daughter in 1929, even though she and Chester allegedly hadn't slept together in over two years. This child was named Claire York Ackerman, and she later tried to say that she was Chester's daughter so that she could have access to some of his estate. Chester and Edna divorced in May of 1945 after 23 years of an on-again, off-again marriage. They were separated for much of the 23 years. Chester and Marjorie continued to have a relationship, and several years later in 1952, the couple finally got married. Those who knew Marjorie and Chester said they seemed to be a very devoted couple, They were quiet and orderly. Marjorie really took incredible care of their home and she even scrubbed the porch steps every morning, which is quite a feat because... In the land of things I'm willing to do in a given day, <laughs> scrubbing porch steps <laughs> has never even made the list. I have to be quite honest. Like even on be a- my spring cleaning day, I don't <laughs> do that. Yeah, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Pretend those things don't even exist. So she she's just somebody that went above and beyond and loved taking care of their home. And she took real pride in that. And she loved decorating it and tasteful decor and luxury pieces. They had beautiful chandeliers and they even had a grand piano. In the winter of 1952, Marjorie and Chester went on vacation, and while they were gone, their pipes actually froze, and it really ruined everything. So they ended up having to move into a new house with three acres of land, and that's where they stayed, and where Marjorie was eventually found dead. Chester hid cash throughout the house, possibly as much as $2 million, which is over $20 million today. Apparently,
1: Chester was not a huge fan of the IRS. Well, he had a lot of money floating around. No kidding. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and can you imagine stashing like $20 million in cash around your house? I just feel like that's so, it just reminded me of like Walter White, like hiding all of his money around his house. so space and stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I was picturing when I was reading like this research on this. I was like, yeah. okay, I'm picturing money being stowed in like air conditioning vents and things yeah. like that behind, you know, behind the walls and stuff like that. Just crazy how else would you have that much money in your house that's I know my uh I don't
0: want to reveal which family member but a family member I had after they passed away when everybody was cleaning up the house they went through and just found cash everywhere like this person had just hidden it everywhere for a rainy day I have no idea but just like you'd go in a couch cushion and pull out cash and you had no idea that it was going to be there you could also find guns so it got a little dangerous but (laughs) it was like what was all this doing here
1: Honestly, if I ever have that much money to just hide around for my family to find after I'm gone, that's actually a great idea.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't say that exactly. Um, so, <laughs> can... I'm not going to do that. Okay, <laughs> I have no money in my home, I know I in don't wallet, have
1: any, none, none. <laughs> in my bank accounts. None, zero. <laughs> so life was pretty great for Marjorie and Chester. Their lives were pretty unremarkable and quiet. They were friendly, and they mostly went unnoticed, except for the fact that they were very, very rich. But in October of 1970, Marjorie's life was shaken up when Chester suddenly passed away from a blood clot in his lung at the age of 77. In the wake of his death, Marjorie, who was now 60, inherited around $14 million, which would be $97 million today, And she also had the money that Chester had hidden in their home, which she continued to live in after his death. She deposited the money she inherited in the Indiana National Bank. In the years following Chester's death, Marjorie continued to decline, and it was clear that she was really suffering with her grief. She became more reclusive and began to neglect the house and the property that she once cared so meticulously for. The grass and weeds grew tall and unruly until the neighbors finally started to complain about it. But Marjorie told them that God had spoken to her and told her not to mow the grass for seven years. Eventually, the neighbors complained to the Board of Health about the unkempt yard. There were weeds that were as high as the rooftop. So the neighbors Whoa. were like, hey, you're bringing in all kinds of pests and, you know, rodents, all kinds of things whenever you have a house in your neighborhood that is just letting these, you know, things grow wild yeah. and really I can see why the neighbors were like, we need some help out here. Like this is something's got to give here. Right. The yard wasn't the only thing that Marjorie let slip into a state of chaos. She was also losing her grip on reality as well. In 1971, she took up the ritual of observing the Sabbath every Saturday, where she spent the entire day inside meditating and talking with God. Over the next several years, Marjorie worked her way up to observing the Sabbath six days a week, from sundown on Monday until sunset on Sunday. All she would do was meditate and pray. She would sit for hours at one of her three pianos and play deeply religious and classical music for God.
0: Marjorie's new behavior caught attention of other residents in the area and many people began to see her as the town's most eccentric woman. Marjorie was seen by her neighbors doing bizarre things, which appeared to be religious rituals, as well as talking to birds and animals and claiming that she could grow money from out of the ground. Honestly, this lady's a millionaire. If she told me she could grow money out of the ground, I would be listening to what she right. was saying. <laughs> so, in January of 1976, Marjorie started withdrawing money from her accounts after she found out that the vice president of Indiana National Bank had embezzled $700,000 from her account. My goodness. At this point, Marjorie felt that the only thing she could trust was God, and she wanted to get her money out of all the banks altogether, which is a great plan, except you're dealing with millions and millions of dollars. This is where money laundering happens in all of my favorite TV (laughs) shows and movies, because what are you going to do with all this cash? So from January to May of that year, Marjorie started withdrawing $500,000 to a million at a time. She would take this money, put it in a suitcase or a grocery bag, and take it home. There were always police escorts that took her home after she did this, even though she asked them not to do. It's probably something that the bank required. Like, if you're going to leave this place with this much money, we need some security that you are going to get to where you're going. But Marjorie said she didn't need their protection she continued to hide the money just like her husband did, all around the house, in closets, and toolboxes, trash cans, vacuum cleaners. Imagine how many times you accidentally throw away like $100,000 because you didn't realize oh it was gosh, in the bottom of something. Oh my I know,
1: I know. It's oh, it's, it's a lot of something. money. Yeah, yeah, it is a lot of money. And it's a lot to keep track of, especially when you are putting it in multiple different places. How do you ever know that you or have all of it accounted for? Yeah, I guess you definitely don't. (laughs) I really don't think there's any way you
0: could. So Marjorie eventually wiped her account of the $9 million that was in there. The rest of the $14 million went to taxes, legal fees, and other obligations. The withdrawals that Marjorie made were so large that the bank actually had to get more cash from the Federal Reserve and all of the serial numbers on the bills were recorded. Marjorie kept around $2 million at other banks that she may have taken out as well, So she had about $11 million plus whatever Chester had left hidden around the house. With cash in hand, Marjorie got rid of her old car and bought two 1976 Cadillacs, a brown one for the winter and a white one for the summer. While she was in the process of cleaning out her accounts, the bank officials warned her that it was incredibly dangerous for her to have this kind of money loose in her home and that she was really putting a target on her own back by doing so. I mean, think about it. How many times is she in there and the bank tellers, you know, they they know what she's in there doing. It just takes one of them to tell a not so great person right. and this whole story to go out and she totally has a target on her back. A neighbor of Marjorie said that while she may have been very eccentric and have some different ideas, she was really very sharp and a very intelligent woman with excellent judgment and that she knew what she was talking about. In fact, at one point, one of the bankers actually asked a judge to block Marjorie's withdrawals, but the judge ruled that Marjorie was perfectly competent and within her right to remove her own money. The judge even gave Marjorie a document that declared her competency.
1: I can't even imagine being in a situation where I need a piece of paper that says I am competent enough to make these big bank withdrawals. That's just a whole different lifestyle than what I can even imagine for myself. I know. I can
0: understand where the bank would, I mean, I feel like it was definitely protection for them and they're losing all the money being in the bank. I get all of that, but I do feel like I hope that there was someone there that was like, hey, this is just not safe. Like, we're trying to protect you. Like, maybe maybe something's going on and they, you know, want to protect her. I like to think that their intentions were good. It could be for selfish purposes. But either way, I can understand how they would take
1: this step. Right. So early on, when Marjorie first began taking her money out of the bank, the word did spread that she was hiding the cash around her own home, which led to Marjorie's house being burglarized numerous times. The first major burglary happened in May of 1976 while Marjorie was away from home. Two 19-year-olds named Walter Burgeon Jr. and Douglas Howard Green broke into Marjorie's house. One of them got in through the garage and used the crawlspace in the ceiling to get inside the house, and then he broke through the ceiling and let his friend through the front door. They stole one of the suitcases in Marjorie's house that happened to have $817,000 in cash inside, as well as stuffing their pockets with diamond necklaces, rings, watches, a pearl necklace, and a jade necklace. The teens then drove off and started tossing the jewelry as they went along, and much of it ended up in a nearby canal. I've heard of this before where people will burglarize a home or they will steal a bunch of things. And I guess maybe they're just kind of grab and go and not really paying attention to what they're grabbing at the time. But it always just like makes me so like if you're going to steal jewelry like – I, I don't want to find it on the side of the road you know what I mean like i mean i, I, do I would find if I it got on the side it back of it so but, much like, <laughs> it just doesn't make sense to me why you would throw them out like just toss them why'd you take them in the first place you know I guess they didn't find what they were looking for up there but yeah it just it blows my mind that they would steal those things and then only to throw them out the window you know later that's you just know
0: who would make a good robber um like a jewelry not me inspector. <laughs> yeah yeah a jewelry <laughs> inspector just go in with this little goggle thing right right last thing and like only take, take this, what he, don't he take yeah yeah get it all appraised before you even leave the house Else. don't do that go. that's a terrible a idea
1: new career path for no those of you out there in the jewelry and the jewelry affecting business <laughs> thank you melissa for that wonderful no! idea <laughs> <laughs> for whatever reason though marjorie did not even report this burglary and the theft to the police but they found out about it anyways Because Walter and Douglas were going around spending a lot of the money that they had stolen. They were out at bars and they were actually bragging about where they got the money from and bragging about robbing Marjorie. Other people that were hearing this started getting jealous of these guys and the successful robbery that they had pulled off. One of the burglar's fathers actually found the stash of money that his son had and stole all of it and then used some of it to send his son on a lavish three-month vacation with one of his friends where they lived it up and they spent up to $1,000 a night on limo rides, new clothes, and expensive food and drinks. So imagine that you rob someone and then your dad finds the money that you stole and steals right. it from you and then says, "Oh, I'm going to keep this, but I'm, I'll send you on a lavish vacation." Like this whole thing is just you couldn't make this up if you tried.
0: No, but yeah, I don't know if I'd be like, "Thank you?" or um right. <laughs> absolutely not. That's just yeah, that's uh, <laughs> I mean,
1: it almost sounds like he's being generous. Obviously, he's not, but that's right. kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. So the other burglar bought himself a farm in southern Indiana. That's what I would do. I would try to invest it in something that was worthwhile. And like move away
0: where no one knows you.
1: Yeah, exactly. At one point, though, somebody who had heard the burglar bragging about the money went to his apartment that was in the city and held him at gunpoint until he gave up $200,000. Everyone really started turning on each other and turning each other into the police later on that same month. Although Marjorie did not report or press any charges, a grand jury decided that the burglars should face charges anyway. Officers actually went to Marjorie's house to try and get her to press charges, and she basically told them to get off her lawn. She pointed what turned out to be a cap gun at the police and insisted that no money was taken during the burglary, and she did not want to have anything to do with it. She wasn't pressing charges, told them to leave. A cap gun. She threatened the police with a cap gun, which is... Again, just one of the many things in this story that's like, what? (laughs) What was that? So the state prosecutor told Marjorie that one of the thieves already admitted to stealing the money in front of a grand jury and Marjorie said that he was lying and told the investigators again to get off her property. So word then started to spread that not only did someone rob Marjorie, but also they're getting away with it because she's not pressing charges. So basically, why not try and steal from this lady again? The prosecutor later said that Marjorie held her privacy so close to the chest and took extremes to keep her life private and that their hands were really tied in this situation. You know, if she's refusing to right. press charges and to take legal action and escalate, there's not really a lot they can do. This is her property. It's her home and it's her money. So Walter and Douglas, the two Barklers, were arrested in 1978, but that would not be the last time that Marjorie found herself the subject of a break-in. And we're going to get into a lot more details of this story after a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors.
0: Do you ever look in your closet and you can't really decide what you want to wear? Maybe you have a few shirts that you like, but nothing you really love? Kuyana totally gets it, which is why their philosophy is fewer things better. Which really means it's better to have those few quality
1: things you love than staring at your closet wondering which thing that you're going to wear. Kuyana is made for women and founded by two women who have the same vision to offer environmentally conscious products that will actually last when it comes to both quality and style-wise. And while Kuyana is known for their tote bags, they have so many different things to check out like crossbody bags, backpacks, satchels, and more. You'll also love their timeless apparel, everything from simple dresses, shorts, and tops that are perfect for the summer.
0: I recently got the Kuyana double loop bag in cappuccino, and this isn't one of the greatest purses I've ever owned. It's the greatest purse I've ever owned. There's really not even a close second. Not only is this bag beautiful to look at, it looks great with everything. The versatility of this purse allows me to wear it across my body or just on one shoulder. It also has adjustable buckles and a back slip pocket plus two exterior pockets, so I can keep all my essentials securely in my bag without fighting a zipper, thanks to their magnetic flap closure, which feels a little magical. It's made from luxurious Italian leather and meets a highest standard of craftsmanship while also working towards the company's
1: sustainability goals. Kuyana never goes on sale, but as a special offer, our listeners can receive 10% off your first order over $150 plus free shipping. Visit Kuyana.com slash moms to get your individual code. That's cuyan acom slash moms. Start shopping fewer, better, at kuyana.com slash moms. While we're all getting back to our new normal, I'm thrilled to still be skipping trips to the post office
0: thanks to stamps.com. Think about it. How many times have you written a card and ended up sending it late because you didn't have a stamp? Suddenly, your Merry Christmas turns into a Happy Valentine's Day card. But if you're like us and you own your own business, that one card is actually 50. And it's not Christmas. It's Patreon perks that you've promised loyal listeners. Having Stamps.com means I can send these perks out
1: to our listeners without ever having to go to the post office. And I can save some money by doing it. With Stamps.com, you can use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. Once your mail is ready, you can just drop it off or schedule a pickup. It's really that simple. Not only is Stamps.com so convenient, it can also save you money by giving you discounts of up to 40% off post office rates and up to 66% off UPS shipping rates.
0: I especially love how easy it is to send stuff out last minute and even internationally. Gone are the days of hauling my kids to the post office to send out a mug someone's been patiently waiting to receive. With Stamps.com, I just hop on my computer and within minutes, I've got everything set and in
1: my mailbox ready to go. Stop wasting time going to the post office and go to Stamps.com instead. There's no risk. And with our promo code, Moms and Murder, you get a special offer that includes a four week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long term commitment or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Moms and Murder. That's stamps.com, promo code, Moms and Murder. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. And now back to the episode. So before the show, we were
0: talking about these robberies that have occurred at Marjorie's place and how she was not up to taking anyone to court. She wanted to keep that all quiet. She wanted to keep to herself, uh, just as she had always done. And Marjorie was really still the talk of the town at this point. She was known as being kind of that odd woman that lived in this big, unkept house all by herself. She was almost like this local folklore type of lady where people just really talked about her and gossiped about her and how she kept her home and she lived among these millions of dollars that she'd hidden around her house. It is interesting. You can think of these stories or her story and how this story probably grew and what people said were in her house and what you could find and, you know probably like a wolf living in there or something you know just crazy like these stories get so much bigger than they are which this is already a huge story.
1: Yeah they do they turn into like local legends you know like over the years like the story becomes twisted into something maybe it wasn't exactly that but it does it is kind of like that situation.
0: yeah so sometime in 1977, a former secretary with the city controller's office named Ralph told a friend, who was also a convicted felon, named Howard Willard, about this burglary at Marjorie's house. Howard, who was 38 years old at the time, was out on bond for stealing a $125 brass coal bucket from a co-worker, which that is such a specific thing to have stolen. Right? <laughs> So he had been convicted of four felony charges of burglary and theft and spent a lot of time in prison between 1958 and 1973. And so when Ralph tells him about Marjorie, Howard really sees an opportunity. Ralph somehow gets in touch with someone who was involved in this first burglary and this person ended up drawing them a map of Marjorie's house. Ralph actually introduced this person to Howard as well. Howard also met with a 29-year-old man named Manuel Lee Robinson, but we really don't know how or why these two were put in touch with each other. Manuel, though, was also a seasoned criminal. In 1960, he was picked up for petty larceny, and he continued to have brushes with the law until 1969. It was at that point that he was sentenced to 10 to 20 years for burglary of $28. Oh my gosh. Oh. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So he ends up getting paroled in October of 1976 after serving seven of those years for the burglary, $28. Manuel and Howard were really an odd duo. In an article that came out years later, Manuel was described as being this hip inner-city black man while Howard was described as being, quote, just an ignorant hillbilly, end quote. This article was very much written in 1987, the way they describe these guys. Right. And these two men really became... Burglar buddies, uh, for lack of a better word, that that's like their plan. That's what they're going to do together. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a weird, weird friendship. So they planned and committed multiple burglaries together. But Howard really just wanted to go after this big fish, and that big fish was Marjorie's house. Howard tried unsuccessfully to rob Marjorie's home on four different occasions between December of 1976 and May of 1977. On his fifth attempt, though, Howard got lucky. On May 2nd, 1977, he and Manuel broke into Marjorie's home and stole around
1: $80,000, which would be over $358,000 today. I mean, it's a lot of money to get in one robbery. So I guess taking five times to get it done it makes it even out in the end. But that's crazy that he, they went back that many times. Yeah. That is just – if you aren't successful and you haven't gotten caught yet, like that's just – it's time to just take that as a sign to – Maybe
0: leave this one alone. Well, I don't know. This is a perfect example of if at first you don't succeed, pick yourself Try, up try, and try, try again. again. Yeah. <laughs> is this, I think I'm quoting Aaliyah. I would like to say for any new listeners we have this week, we are not pro burglary. I feel like we are giving lots of hints. And, oh, no, we don't of really how t- not yeah. you, t- like in general. We're just like, <laughs> we're just saying it. And the more I say it myself, I'm like, I don't want people to think I
1: actually think people should burglarize things. No, no. we know that. <laughs> I just realized we some have of a our funny things. way of making very terrible jokes about things like that. Yeah, no, we definitely do not support burglarizing no. anyone. Nobody home. thinks that, but I yeah, just know. <laughs>
0: I've realized, like, I'm like, you know what you should do? You should get a jeweler in on your, <laughs> your robbery. <Yeah>. Plan. <laughs> So although this really was quite a haul, as Mandy was saying, for this home invasion, Howard and Manuel were greedy, and they also knew that there was a lot more money where that came from. So they planned to go back again two days later to steal more. Only this
1: time, they got more than they bargained for. When the men arrived on May 4th, Marjorie was there, ready and waiting for them. She was guarding her bedroom door when Howard and Manuel broke in. Out of nowhere, one of the men shot Marjorie in the stomach with a twenty-two caliber rifle. As Marjorie bled out, the burglars carried cash out of her house in bags and put it in their vehicle. It's believed that they stole around $6 million, which at the time was reported as being the largest cash heist from a residential burglary in U.S. history and it was over 26 million dollars that would be equal to stealing today so as we've said many times we just can't imagine that much money being inside of one residence let alone being stolen in a robbery like this so it's definitely a remarkable case so after the burglary and the murder the men left the home with marjorie's body still inside on may 7th three days later the men decided that they should probably go back and do something about all the evidence they left behind Their solution was to light the house on fire, but their plan to pull that off was not really a great one. Shortly after midnight, the men returned to Marjorie's house and used gasoline to set 10 small fires around the house. The fires were actually too small and ended up smoldering for hours before somebody finally noticed smoke coming from a window in the home and called the firefighters. When officers arrived, they already knew what happened. Marjorie, the eccentric town recluse, was murdered for her millions. If the criminals hadn't gone back and lit those fires, it could have been months before anybody even knew that something was wrong since Marjorie kept to herself so much. Wow. The inside of Marjorie's house told the story. She had become a hoarder in the years following Chester's death, and the house was cluttered with groceries, clothing, and other belongings. Officers had a hard time figuring out what was even stolen because of all the things that were inside the house. They noticed that Marjorie had covered the doorknobs and heating vents in the house with aluminum foil, which they really didn't have a reason they could find for this other than it was just something that Marjorie did. Yeah. A table in the home was set up with fine china, crystal glassware, and silver cutlery, which Marjorie had set up in anticipation of Jesus' return. She also had dozens of neatly wrapped gifts around the house with tags that read, To Jesus Christ from Marjorie Jackson and To God from Marjorie. She had 50 loaves of bread, 150 pounds of coffee, and 200 dozen cookies. There were also many large fancy cakes that had similar inscriptions as the gift tags police found a little over five million dollars in the house in cash which was hidden in trash bags toolboxes dresser drawers trash cans and vacuum bags no one knows how much money marjorie really had hidden in her house there could have been as much as 15 million dollars Wow. a deputy prosecutor in this case later said that the big question is is there still more money out there and where might it be It really didn't take long for the police to figure out who was responsible for Marjorie's
0: death because Howard and Manuel immediately went on a spending spree, which is literally what we just talked about on the Loomis Fargo heist. You know, this is always what happens. They can't stay quiet. They just have to spend like they've always had this money. So people who knew these men or had any contact with them said they heard them say things like they got money from an, quote, old witch who lived by herself. Howard was at this time dating a 48-year-old woman who was coincidentally also named Marjorie. They had actually been married and divorced twice already, but they were together once again, which sounds like true love.
1: Right. So uh,
0: (laughs) officers said their relationship was like a circus, and eventually police stopped responding to their domestic dispute calls. She would always throw his things on the porch, but by the next day, she'd be begging him to come back home. So between May 2nd and May 6th, Howard and his ex-wife girlfriend deposited large sums of money in two different Mooresville, Indiana banks. Then they went to Pat's Tavern and bought rounds of drinks for an hour before heading to the car lot and buying a $15,000 Lincoln, which Howard actually wrecked within 48 hours. Meanwhile, on May 5th, the other burglar, Manuel, was also out treating himself to a new Lincoln. Manuel and his girlfriend, Annie, and their friend, John, went out and bought a Lincoln in cash. Four days later, they actually went back to the dealership and wanted to trade it in for a more expensive car because he, quote, got a few scratches on it, end quote, and because he wanted a car with a (laughs) moonroof. You got priorities. So the car dealer said they'd let Manuel know when this car comes in, and then they notified the police. So officers followed Manuel and John for several hours. They stopped at two other car dealerships and left a deposit on two more cars. So the whole time they have this money, they're just like, we should just buy cars. They're never yeah. going to get away because <laughs> they keep buying more cars, but they're just buying these cars everywhere. So later that evening, though, police moved in and arrested John, who then gave him enough information to arrest Manuel and Annie as well. When Manuel was arrested, police found $652,000 in a briefcase in his house and more than $1.3 million at Annie's house. Manuel was charged with first-degree murder, first-degree burglary, and arson. John was charged with being an accessory to murder. John took a lie detector test and ended up passing it, and then he led police to a bank box where he had $40,000. His charges were then reduced to theft. Annie was charged with possession of stolen property.
1: In total, police recovered $1.6 million between the three of them. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Manuel's story was that the money wasn't his and that an unknown man gave him the money to keep. which wow. likely story. that always happens. We always hear about people just giving maybe this that's an email thing to strangers to keep. yeah.
0: yeah, Nigerians. Oh, yeah. maybe that's yeah. He finally got the deposit. One of us finally <laughs> got the deposit.
1: Yeah. But upon further questioning, Manuel gave the police a phone number of this unknown man. The phone number was for Howard's girlfriend, Marjorie Pollitt, of course, not to be confused with the victim in the story, who is Marjorie Jackson. Manuel's girlfriend, Annie, told the police that he was involved in the robbery and the murder. So once Manuel shared this information about the other person, police had enough evidence. Warrants were then issued for the arrest of Howard and his girlfriend, and they were both for first-degree murder and burglary. When officers went to Pollitt's house to arrest her, they realized that she and Howard had actually fled already. They went to Georgia, where Pollitt's sister joined them, and then the three of them headed to Arizona. So a nationwide manhunt began to find the wanted couple. Police finally got a break when a motorhome dealer in Tempe, Arizona, recognized these fugitives. They had ordered and paid $35,000 for a new motorhome and said that they would come back to pick it up in a few days. The dealer was suspicious because he knew that this couple had already purchased a 26-foot motorhome for $21,000 just recently, so he's like, why would you need another brand new motorhome? On May 20th, the police finally tracked them down in Phoenix at Safari Trailer Park. An FBI agent was looking for their car and trailer from an airplane and spotted them in the park, and then officers surrounded the trailer and moved in on them. All three were arrested. Marjorie Pollitt had $1,500 in her purse, and they found about $200,000 cash in the RV. This money was all stuffed inside of a suitcase, a briefcase, and inside of clothing. A shovel that was also found in the RV led police to believe that the couple may have either buried a lot of money or they had plans to bury a lot of money. It was learned later that the couple had arrived at the trailer park on May 15th and registered under the names Mr. and Mrs. Robertine Anderson of Ringgold, Georgia. That is very, I don't know where they came up with that name or that location. They must have known somebody from there. That's what I was thinking. (laughs) It has to be maybe like a stand-up person from that area that they knew nobody would be
0: suspicious of.
1: Yeah. So Marjorie Pollitt was very forthcoming with information when she was arrested She told the police that Howard admitted to robbing Marjorie Jackson's home multiple times and that in the morning of May 5th, he and Manuel came home with the car stacked full of money and bags. She said that Howard told her what happened the night of the murder, and allegedly he said that he and Manuel kicked down Marjorie's door. Howard said Manuel went inside first, but then Marjorie saw him, and the next thing he knew, Manuel had fired the gun and shot Marjorie. Howard said that he then went inside and the men both loaded up the money. The next day, Pollitt was riding in the car with the men and Manuel said that he had to shoot Marjorie. The men returned to the home to set it on fire after Howard commented that their fingerprints were likely all over the place in the house. Marjorie Pollitt also told the police where to find the shotgun that was used in the murder. Howard had thrown it in the river and apparently told her about it. She agreed to testify for the prosecution in exchange for being allowed to plead guilty to a federal charge of transporting stolen money, and she received just five years for her role in the crime. On June 30th, Paulette told the FBI where they hid some of the money, and it was in a desert location north of Phoenix. The police went to the place where she told them to go, and they ended up digging up two boxes that were under five feet of sand. And inside of these two boxes, they found $1.7 million. Yeah, so expect- they're kind of slowly finding this money piece by piece. Uh, but as we said before, it's going to be hard to account for it all because you just really have no idea what was even there or how much exactly was right. even stolen. We're going to get into the rest of the details of this story after one last break to hear a word from this week's sponsors.
0: Recently, I purchased a fancy nail polish set. There wasn't really a real occasion. I was just tired of painting my nails and having them chip, so I decided to try something nice. It's nice to treat yourself every once in a while, even when it's something small. Third Love gets that and wants
1: you to give yourself some TLC. That's Third Love Comfort. And who gets comfort better than Third Love? Whether it's their incredible bras, underwear, or quality sleepwear, anything you get from 3rd Love feels like an indulgence. And while we all love buying stuff online, buying a bra can feel a little risky. But with 3rd Love, you can take the simple fitting room quiz from the comfort of your own home and skip those awkward dressing room moments. We both took the fitting room quiz
0: and it asked questions about things like your size, brush shape, your current fit issues, and your personal style, so you can be matched with the perfect bras and underwear just for you. Best of all, 3rd Love stands by their product. If you don't love it, exchanges and returns are free. I've loved my 3rd Love bras and underwear so much, they are the only brand I wear now.
1: You deserve some TLC. That's 3rd Love Comfort. Go to thirdlove.com slash murder now to get 20% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com murder for 20% off today. There's never been a better time to take care of yourself than now. Whether something in your life is interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals, the licensed professional therapists with BetterHelp want to help you become the best you this year. BetterHelp is professional counseling that you can do right from the comfort of your home through weekly video or phone sessions. I've used BetterHelp over the past year, and I can't tell you what a relief it
0: is just to get all my thoughts out to a professional without having to leave the house. I deal with anxiety and depression and have most of my adult life, so just having someone I can talk through through different scenarios
1: or those immediate big problems that pop up in life has really been invaluable, especially this last year. Of course, anything you share with your BetterHelp counselor is completely confidential, and best of all, BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling. Financial aid is also available. Whether you're struggling with family issues, sleep, stress, or more, BetterHelp will help match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating with them in under 24 hours. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states.
0: We want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com moms. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp h e l p dot com slash moms are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home?
1: Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply.
0: And now back to the episode. So before the break, we were talking a little about Howard and Manuel and how they committed this crime and tried to rob Marjorie and eventually killed her. So Howard and Manuel were actually tried separately, with Howard going first in November of 1977. The media coverage of this case made things pretty tricky. The prosecution was upset because they felt, quote, the media coverage around the case was not designed to create prejudice against Howard as much as it dealt with the victim, a very wealthy woman who had shown eccentric characteristics by drawing money out of the bank and keeping it hidden in her home, end quote. Howard actually requested a change of venue, but it was denied. Prosecutors used Marjorie Pollitt's statements as the basis for their entire case. They said that Howard masterminded the burglaries and that he began planning them as early as September of 1976. He knew about her house, he knew where she kept her money, and he knew that she was known for being eccentric. They pointed out that he had tried and failed to break in numerous times before the night of the murder. They did say, however, that Howard was too much of a coward to take a gun into Marjorie's home himself, so he gave it to Manuel. Manuel. They said it didn't matter who pulled the trigger. The jury just had to decide if Manuel and Howard committed the burglaries and if during the second burglary, Marjorie Jackson was shot. The defense said that Howard was not even involved in the May 4th shooting or the burglary at all. Howard actually testified for his defense and said Manuel was the one who shot Marjorie, committed the burglary, and set her house on fire all by himself. He alleged that on May 2nd, he was driving around with his friend Ralph, who we mentioned before. They were near Marjorie's house, and while they were driving, they spotted a trash bag next to the road. He claims that when they stopped to investigate, they found $150,000 in the bag, and then they noticed that Marjorie had bags everywhere with money in them, and they thought that she may have accidentally thrown away this particular bag. Wow, what are the odds of this happening? Uh, so pretty high uh, for me,
1: <laughs> as we yeah. said before. I I feel like I would do something like that. Throw out a bag. I, I mean, I could see, and especially if she was an eccentric woman with a lot of stuff in her house, like I, I don't know. You might get me to as a jury member. I might be like, ah, oh, maybe I don't know. Yeah. But I'm just saying as a, like, way of defense to be like, actually, you know
0: what? Right. (laughs) Just came across this money. So weird. It happens all the time. Right. Uh, But yeah, apparently it could happen to you. (laughs) So uh, they end up saying that they took this money and went around saying that they got it from the witch's house, which is what we had said before. Allegedly, they went back hoping to find more, but they didn't find any. And that's when Howard looked up Manuel and they worked out a business deal is what he called it. On May 4th, the two men met in person at Manuel's girlfriend, Andy's house, and they left and came back two hours later with Manuel saying that he robbed Marjorie's house and he had the boxes and bags full of cash to prove it. The two men ended up splitting the cash evenly. At this time though, Manuel said that he only wounded Marjorie Jackson. Howard then threw the gun into the river. So the next morning, Howard goes back to Marjorie's house to try and find her, but there's no sign of her. That's when they realized that their fingerprints were probably everywhere, so they should go back and set the house on fire. On December 6th, the jury deliberated for a very short 2 hours and 40 minutes and found Howard guilty on all counts. Half the time that they actually spent in deliberations was just re-watching the testimony from the
1: trial. On December 23rd, Howard was sentenced to life in prison. Manuel went to trial in April of 1978. The prosecution was basically the same as the one that was used in Howard's trial, except that they didn't paint Manuel as the mastermind. They did use Marjorie Pollitt's testimony as their main evidence, though. The defense admitted that Manuel was involved in the burglary, but claimed that he had no responsibility in the shooting or the arson and tried to convince the jury that there was not enough evidence to prove Manuel's guilt. They tried to discredit Marjorie Pollitt's testimony by alleging that everything she claims Manuel did could have easily been done by Howard, which I can see where they're going with that. Like, yeah. why, why couldn't Howard have been the one doing all these things? They also said that Howard and his girlfriend are the only two people who would say that Manuel shot Marjorie. But yet on the day of the murder, it was Manuel who cooperated with the police and gave names and phone numbers to them. So basically they were saying, you know, why would he do that and cooperate with the police if he was the one who shot Marjorie? Right. And then why on the same coin would Howard have fled and taken off, you know, and sent the police on this manhunt? The defense didn't believe that Manuel knew anyone had been killed because he was too busy spending the money from the May 2nd burglary, which was the first burglary. They were trying to allege that he didn't even have a hand in the May 4th burglary where Marjorie was killed. They found a female witness that actually testified that she was with Manuel on the night of May 4th during the time of the burglary. The prosecution did not have Howard testify that Manuel killed Marjorie because they felt that Howard was too unpredictable to put on the stand. But Marjorie Pollitt did testify. On April 24th, the jury spent seven and a half hours deliberating before finding Manuel guilty of two counts of first degree burglary, two counts of conspiracy to commit first degree burglary, arson and conspiracy to commit arson. Manuel was acquitted of murder and of the armed robbery. Yeah, that's pretty interesting to me. The prosecutor was, as he put it, stunned and disappointed. He felt they really had a strong case and just could not believe that Manuel was acquitted while Howard was convicted. Interestingly, one of Howard's appeals later stated that Manuel was the one who killed Marjorie. That's what it said in his appeal, which, yeah, it's definitely kind of like what's going on here in this case. On May 17th, Manuel went before the judge for sentencing. He was sentenced to 2 to 14 years for conspiring to commit burglary on May 2nd. And he was sentenced to 10 to 20 years for conspiring and committing the May 4th burglary. He was also sentenced to 5 to 20 years for the arson. So where are they now? It's been a long
0: time since this story happened. And as you can imagine, a lot has gone down since the 70s, like Mandy and I being born. Right. In June June of 1987, Howard collapsed and died while jogging at the Indiana Reformatory. In 1988... Manuel was released from prison, but he was arrested again in 1990 and spent another 10 years behind bars. As of 2015, his last known whereabouts were in California. Just kidding. (laughs) It's definitely Florida. You knew it was going to be Florida. And he is about 74 or 75 now. A book was written about this case in 2011 called Scavengers, a true story of money, madness, and murder. And Manuel actually contributed to this book. He said he believed that authorities kept about $450,000 of the stolen money. After Howard was found guilty, the prosecutor said they were still unable to account for about a million dollars. He jokingly said, quote, "There's a lot of desert in Arizona where you can start digging end quote." Manuel actually told police he gave a million dollars to friends to keep it safe for when he got out. He even told his public defender from the beginning that he had hid some money and the police would never find it. If I was his public defender, I'd be like, "You know what? You're going to pay me. We are (laughs) going to have to pay for
1: this. Definitely. An investigative reporter named Don Devereaux believes that he does know where some of the missing money went, though. He received a tip from a source on law enforcement that said that it was odd that some of the stolen stuff appeared to be missing, even though Howard and Manuel had both cooperated with the police. So Don started investigating this. He filed a FOIA request from the FBI regarding Marjorie's death, but he was told that the file was partially destroyed in 1993. Isn't that always the way it goes when you want to go looking for some, like, information? Of course. And they're like, oh, this particular file doesn't exist anymore. Like, how convenient. Yeah. So the FBI will not say why part of the file was destroyed or what was in the destroyed part of the file. And Don theorizes that the missing documents could have contained information that one of their agents was responsible for the missing money. Don did get some of the files though, and he noticed something that seemed to confirm this suspicion. The files showed the name of one of the FBI agents who dug up the money in Phoenix. It had not been redacted six times in the files. And Don had seen many of these files and thought it was strange that an agent's name would come up that many times in a file. He said he took the non-redactions as a sign that someone in the Phoenix FBI had the same suspicions and intentionally didn't redact the name. He said, quote, once is an oversight, six times is a message. At least that's how I took it, end quote. This is all just like. (laughs) Yeah, I'm
0: very into FOIA requesting this story.
1: Yeah, it's just crazy that they were like really trying to dig into this and figure this out. Um, the partially destroyed file thing—it's this. This is very like Hollywood movie exactly. um, plot, you know, to me. But this is a real story. Like this is really this really happened. And believe it or not, there is no movie about this case. I feel like Tom Hanks should star in this
0: movie, but I feel like we would get Nicolas Cage. Just the Oh, way this I, is totally Nick Cage. Yes, I I would totally see Nicholas. I would watch this too. This is fascinating.
1: So the FBI files say that the $1.7 million they found in the desert was all found in one location. But Don theorizes that one of the agents who dug up the money may have found more than they reported finding, which, duh, that would be the way that that would happen. Right? Yeah. So they, they would just find it and sneak some into their back pocket, if you will, and just say, hey, I found this much and really they did not just find that much right so it's also possible that the agent or an agent could have gone back to the desert and dug up money from other locations so Don also has records that show that this particular agent had money transferred from Switzerland to the Netherlands Antilles and that money was then used to buy property which was then transferred back to an offshore holding company. And Dom believes that this offshore holding company was associated with a trust that the agent set up, which is a lot, I feel like, to hide money. But if you're talking about lots of millions of dollars, then I guess you're willing to put in the work so that you don't get arrested. We don't know this person's name. There doesn't seem to be in jail. So apparently that all worked. Again, don't steal money, but
0: (laughs) (laughs) we've given you another way to do it, apparently. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah. So after Don learned that part of the file in the case was destroyed, he decided to ask the U.S. Department of Justice to investigate. And they responded by saying they would not do that. They declined the opportunity to investigate any further into this. And that is where the story ends. So we don't know. Yeah, we just don't know. We don't know how much money there was total. We don't know how much was actually stolen from Marjorie's home. We don't know if all of the money... That was from Marjorie and Chester has ever been recovered. And we don't know if there is still money buried in the desert in Arizona. So we just don't know any of that. And that's part of what makes the story just so bananas is that you just it is kind of like an urban legend where you're like, right, there be some of Marjorie Jackson's money out there somewhere.
0: Yeah. What was that movie on um Netflix? Was it Cocaine Island? I feel like that might have been what it was called. The guy in Florida who was flying somewhere to look for these drugs that were buried, something like that. But it is this like whole urban legend, and he I'm not gonna say that spoil it, but I think there I've was seen whole that whole investigation. It or not. Well, no, I think we did it for Patreon. So that oh. be why <laughs> that's why it sounds familiar. But it was the same kind of idea where it's like this whole urban legend, and then people start to take it seriously. Obviously, there's a lot of To say here that there definitely could be something, but where would you even start? I would love to see a deep dive on this. This is really fascinating. Yeah.
1: Yeah. This is a good one for me with my conspiracy minded brain where I like to think of crazy scenarios and possibilities and things that could have happened. And so this is a good case for that because I feel like, like you said, there is a there's a lot that you could deep dive into if you really had the time to go into it
0: right yeah for sure
1: what an interesting story though
0: and Marjorie I just we kind of talked about this before felt really heartbroken for her because she was clearly somebody that was going through so much after she lost her husband and you know the decisions that she ended up making were really sad and people took advantage of it knowing you know that she was by herself and she was this eccentric person to rob her and stuff just ugh It's so sad all the way around. It's very sad. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. All right, guys. So before we move on to last thing before we go, um, Melissa, we have a very special listener's birthday and we want to wish them a happy birthday. Who is the special listener? (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Um, Kenna reached out to us on Patreon and she told us, asked us if we could please wish her sister Tori, who turns 21, do you remember 21, on July 29th. Wow, I just give a lot of your personal information out. I right. hope it was okay with you, Tori. <laughs> um, the last four of her social – no, I'm just kidding. Um, happy birthday, Tori. That's happy so – Happy birthday. Uh, that's exciting. Birthdays are great. 20s are yes. great.
1: 21 is a big one. It's a big deal for a lot of people. So yes, I hope you enjoy your birthday and have fun celebrating you.
0: And how sweet of your sister to think of you. That's a good sister. Good Good sister relationship. That's awesome. I mean, it's just us, but yes. Oh, well, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> just acknowledging your sibling's birthday. My brother has never called me on my birthday
1: ever in my entire life. This, so is, this true. is a yeah, really true. nice one. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Happy birthday, Tori. We hope that you have an amazing birthday. Yes. All right. So we are going to turn the page and move on to last thing before we go. Melissa, would you like to explain last thing before we go? This could get interesting because um, we planned this last thing before we go two weeks ago before yeah. I went on vacation. And so now, Melissa, you're going to have to refresh my memory. I have it prepared. Well, I, I have, have to remind no me idea why I have these things. Okay, <laughs> here's
0: what I think. The story was about a grocery heiress. And so I said, I guess because this took place in the 70s, 80s, not really 80s, but I'm realizing all of mine are basically 80s. Weird foods, fun foods from that era, like or... Any era? How about that? Let's make it real general. Whatever well, has you have to be on your any, list is correct. Yeah,
1: it has to be any. I thought you had said maybe nostalgic foods. Based on nostalgic. what I have, I feel like nostalgic that's what, what you yeah. said. <laughs> so um, I can't have nostalgia from eighties because I wasn't around stop it. most of them. Nobody <laughs>
0: wants to hear that. Huh? You and Tori and your young selves can just stop it.
1: Okay, so I do have some though that we can go okay. with. Go ahead. What do you got first? Okay, so the first one I have that gives me all the. F- horrifying flashbacks 3d doritos Ah,
0: but didn't they make those again recently i feel like i've seen them Did recently they?
1: yeah oh. i think so maybe not oh i'm i'm not eating doritos much these days so i really haven't noticed if they have brought those back maybe they came back for a little appearance but that was like all the rage when they first came out everybody wanted the puffed up little air chip yeah yeah those are good i, I guess think. they're fine i <laughs> I guess they're fine but yeah they they just remind me of being a kid yeah I like that okay so mine is something that I was very jealous
0: of this is something I never I had when my friend gave me one but my mom wouldn't buy them dunkaroos the little cracker I things. don't think to this day I've ever had a dunkaroo with icing yeah I mean they're not great but whenever you don't have them it's really rough like you know if a kid has them at lunch like they're doing okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your yeah. mom really is just going all out for their lunches. Right. Yeah, I always <laughs> wanted them. But they're, yeah, those looked, I mean, I don't think they were great. It's like that cheap icing that, not cheap, but like, you know, just the basic icing, not like, I love homemade icing. So I'm you can kind say of cheap bougie with that. Yeah. But um, yeah, it just, it's not great, but I wanted it didn't care what it tasted like
1: yeah 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 no i i there's a lot of snack foods like that from my childhood that i always was jealous that other kids had like gushers and like fruit by the foot things like that um which did not make my list but um those are two other things that like i always was like why can't i have fruit gushers and my mom always would just be like no absolutely not i'm not buying those and i never understood why but now i'm a mom so i get it but Oh, see, now I'm a mom and I buy them because I'm like, will you be quiet? i right. you Gushers <laughs> and I want to eat some too. <laughs> right? Okay, so my next one, this one was so disgusting. I remember like my sister was really into this. Hopefully she's not listening because I'm going to be an embarrassing sister. Do you remember when the bubblegum hubba bubba came out with the shake and chug? It was like no. sand consistency, but it was like bubble gum. Melissa, you have to go look this up. Look up bubble jug. And it's like oh, a bubble little, jug. Yeah. The yeah, little but tiny but it was like things. a container, but like the stuff inside was like the consistency of like kinetic sand and then it turned into gum whenever you put a bunch of it in your uh. mouth and started chewing it anyway so but it was the bottle it came in had like a little lid on it and it was like a jug like a mini yeah, one yeah. but it was always so disgusting and like my sister was always younger than me and she always liked it and liked bubble was Gun, she always which, younger than you she, she was always <laughs> younger than me <laughs> <laughs> the entire time, even now. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> um, but she used to love it and she would But always like – and little kids always do this. They always have their whole mouth around yes. the thing. And so then it gets all like Clocked wet and sticky and, and clogged mm. up on the inside. And so that's like the image I have in my head of those bubble Ew. jug containers is just like – a nasty spitty bubblegum sand thing and so that one does not elicit happy memories but it's on my list anyway
0: (laughs) oh okay my next one is kind of in the same realm as yours big league chew that like looks like chewing tobacco and you would put it in your mouth and you could chew it like it was and it was just like a bunch of like shredded gum things pink I feel like
1: this is the same idea as the sandbox gum I just described it is very (laughs) close
0: I think it might be made by the same people it's so disgusting uh the gum by the foot was the same way what was that called no not fruit by the foot but you know what I'm talking about the roll gum
1: it like Oh yeah, okay for yes. about two seconds and they had sour ones yep they're powdery oh my gosh I remember mm-hmm. those too I'd I be so all about stingy this. with that stuff like I will cut
0: you off like you that clicking sound <laughs> was all your power was in that click <laughs> you want some gum click okay that's it yeah, that's all you get <laughs> but Big League Chew is so gross and I guess we all wanted to be basketball or not basketball players baseball players spitting that out I, I it was a weird marketing thing for kids that and candy cigarettes I've never quite understood why we're why we're doing that for children no, I don't think we are anymore. Maybe I don't know. I think Big League could be around,
1: or I could have just like run into it on one of those like buzzy lists or something. Yeah, it probably doesn't come in like a tobacco-looking can anymore. If it does exist, I would imagine.
0: I would kind of hope so. I would really want to get full <laughs> nostalgia on this one. What do you have next?
1: Okay, so I think these are still available. I'm not really sure. I haven't checked um, lately, but colored ketchup like the purple ketchup purple green remember they had different color blue i think they had blue um but the easy squirt and always was in a bottle and i don't know why kids are so drawn to things that are colors they are not supposed to be but as an adult i'm looking at a photo right now of a picture of french fries with purple easy squirt all over them and it just does not look good or fun and i don't understand why it was ever created or why it was a thing or how it survived more than five minutes on the shelves but yeah um that was a thing yeah i never had it but i know that i wanted it i absolutely you know just wanted it wanted yeah it. for mm-hmm. no reason at all and no. that was the other thing things like this were always more expensive so i was never allowed to have them exactly. because my mom would be like no i'm buying the great value brand um exactly. ketchup that's on the shelf next to it so yeah <laughs> exactly
0: okay so my next one this will be my last one gobstoppers Do you remember? I mean, I love gobstoppers. Now, explain to me why we loved gobstoppers. Think about, this made me think of those things at the mall you could get, the giant jawbreaker. You know what I'm talking about? Same idea. yeah. You would get it, bring it home, lick it, wrap it in a, like, clear plastic whatever Uh. put it in the fridge keep (laughs) licking it it was so disgusting and like what a terrible marketing plan I'm only going to be able to eat one of those in my entire life I'm never going to be able to come back to your store and buy another one what am I going to do buy them for gifts they're just terrible and they just it hurts my jaw even thinking about eating one of those
1: Ugh. I'm sorry, but after watching that MTV production Jawbreaker that you probably never saw, have you seen it? I that know movie? what it is, but
0: I haven't seen it.
1: Uh, yeah, it's a very dark movie. It's very strange. I don't know why I was watching it when I was younger. But ever since I saw that movie where, you know, there's no spoilers here because it's an old movie. But um, basically she gets a Jawbreaker. Like they, They put it in their friend's mouth and they tape her mouth shut and like it's like a prank they're pulling on her and then they throw her in the trunk of a car and they're gonna take her off somewhere with them when they open it like their friend has this jawbreaker lodged in her throat and she's dead and uh, the whole movie it's like a very dark it's kind of like, it's kind of a comedy but ever since then I will not go near a jawbreaker and I will 100% never let my kids have a jawbreaker. So we've never had that um, experience in our house of having just, nasty jawbreaker wrappers in the fridge. <laughs> just don't go near friends that would throw you in the trunk as a prank. This is Or insane. put something like that in your mouth and tape it. I know. It's just very unrealistic. It, I don't even know what year that movie came out, but it's a great movie know. to sit and watch on a rainy I day. don't think so. <laughs> you know what I watched though that you will be very surprised of? I watched A Quiet Place. I love that movie so
0: good I really enjoyed it you thought it was good yeah I enjoyed it we watched it with my daughter and my son interrupted 14,000 times which helped on the like nervousness scale for me because if you've got somebody walking in every two seconds and you're like needing to push pause and stuff it's very very helpful you can't get too scared because you're like answering questions about poop or Minecraft or like helping with something so like you can't get that
1: scared it was great. Okay, so I have a couple more. I'm just going to say them real quick. We don't have to go through a long list, but um, the last ones I had on on my list were Cheese Balls. Yes. That just reminds me of Office. Mm -hmm. Yes. Love Cheese Balls. Laffy Taffy Watermelon that had the candy seeds in it. Never heard of it. Super oh my gosh! Everybody always says they don't remember it, and then it started to make me wonder if it was a Mandela effect thing. Oh, and gosh. I went and looked it up, and it was not. It actually did exist at one point, but it was watermelon flavored Laffy Taffy, and it had it only came in the big bars, like the ones that you buy at right. gas like the whole big thing. But it had little. Uh, candy watermelon seeds inside the taffy. And I don't know why they stopped Wait, doing that. Little black seeds, right? I mean, they were little black. Sense. No, yeah. no, that's,
0: I, that sounds very, very familiar to me. I don't know if I had them, but whenever you said little things,
1: I was thinking like nerds being in there. But no, when you're saying well, that, they no, have that sounds one. familiar. Yeah, well, they have another flavor that's like – that's like the sparkle thing, but it has almost like sprinkles inside of it. And so Mm -hmm. every time I mention the watermelon one with seeds, people are like, oh, you mean this razzle sparkle something. I said, no, that's not the one that I mean. I mean the watermelon one with watermelon candy seeds. And um, please let me know if you ever had that or know what I'm talking about because a lot of people seem confused when I mention that. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. And then the last thing I had um, was – swoops the chips that were covered they were just single chips that were covered in chocolate but they're like pringle shaped <gasps> so you could pop the whole thing in your mouth and it's like a chocolate covered pringle oh my gosh we need those to come back i know <laughs> add a little mm. taste
0: the 80s <laughs> <laughs> or 90s i guess
1: <laughs> All right, Melissa, did you have anything else on your list?
0: Absolutely not. Let's not do any more.
1: This is, we've said enough about ourselves just throughout these. So I'm good. I think so. All right, guys, that was the episode for this week. Um, We are so happy to be back. We'll be here Yay. for a while now. And uh, so that means we'll see you back next week. Same time, same place, new story. Have a great week. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast.
0: Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode.